All right, we're beginning here, five lines down on Samachalif Amdalif. The Gemara says, Ibailuhu. Amar yayin she'eni to'em yovel. So over here, the language is a little bit sparse, and it's not really clear what he's saying in the nether. We just finished a Gemara discussing whether the word shana means hashana, or it means shana ha. And the same thing with shavua, or any of these other words, if you don't use hashana or hashavua, this, what do you mean when you say the generic term, a year, a yovel, all of these terms, we just discussed that in the Gemara, as to whether that is the equivalent of saying ze, that it's this item, or it's the equivalent of saying achat. And the Gemara was somewhat inconclusive about that. And therefore, as the Ran says, the question that was not resolved, and therefore we're going to go to the Chumrah. So for now, for the Gemara to open up with a question, which seemingly was unresolved right before, makes it sound like that's not the question or that's not the focus of the Gemara. And therefore, you can see in the Balei Atosafot, he says, The question could have been equally asked if whether or not when he says Yovel, but when he says Ha-Yovel, the Rosh says, If he says Yovel Zeh. So as opposed to Tosafot, he said he could have said that. The Rosh says specifically that he did say that. He said Yovel Zeh, and the Ran seems to take a similar approach as the Rosh, which is The Gemara wasn't so careful with its language, so the question really revolves around this. When he says Yain Shanitoim or Shanitoim Yovel, what he meant is Yovel Zeh during this Yovel. My, what's the din in this case? So here the question is similar to all the questions that were in the Mishnah before, which is when you take a Neder with regards to Shabbat. We take it with regards to Chodesh Zeh, Shabbat Zo. All those instances, we wanted to know which day, which structure does it belong to? Is Shabbat part of the next week or part of the previous week? Is the Rosh Chodesh the end of the previous month or the beginning of the next month? So the same question arises here with regards to Yovel. The Yovel, the Jubilee year, is it the beginning of the next cycle or is it the completion of the previous cycle? Now again, by the fact that it's the 50th year, already makes it sound like it is the completion of the previous year. As we'll see in the Gemara, there is a daya that that is not exactly the case. So now, is the 50th year like the previous cycle? It's a part of the previous cycle. Or is it the beginning of the next cycle? And similar to what we saw yesterday in the Machloket Rishonim as to how to explain the Mishnah, where Rashi says, you're standing in the time period which we're speaking about. You're standing on Shabbat and you're saying Shabbat Zo. Or you're standing on Rosh Chodesh and saying Chodesh Zeh. And the Balei Atosavot who said, no, you're standing in the middle of the month, the middle of the week. Or here, you're standing in the middle of the Yovel, the 25th year, somewhere in the middle, and saying Yovel Zeh. So the same explanations would be applicable over here. Rashi says you're standing in the Yovel year. And the question being posed is, when you take this nether and you say Yovel Zed, this jubilee, do you mean the upcoming 50-year cycle? So the next 50 years, that's what you're speaking about. And the Yovel in which you're speaking about has no relevance to that because it's part of the previous Yovel cycle. Or when you say Yovel Zed, if this Yovel is the beginning of that cycle, then it would be that you are a sore in this Yovel as well as the upcoming 49 years. So that's the question according to Rashi. According to Tosafot, the question is, if you're in the middle of the Yovel, you say, this Yovel, I'm taking the nether for, when you get to the 50th year, or is the nether terminated before the Yovel, because the Yovel belongs to the upcoming cycle, 
or there's only terminate at the end of the Yovel, because the Yovel is a part of the previous cycle. It's the 50th year for the 49 years that passed before it. Tashma, the Tanyo, we have a Braita, that really is, this is a Machloket Tanaim. Plukta, the Rabbi Yehuda Rabbanan. It's a Machloket Rabbi Yehuda Rabbanan as to the status of Yovel. Bikidashtem etchnata chamishim shana, that you will sanctify the 50th year. Shnata chamishim atamune, you count the 50th year to sanctify it. Viatamune shnat chamishim veachat. I'm going to explain the Gemara according to Rashi. Rashi that's found in Rosh Hashanah, the Bach notes. And there are other girsaot that leave out the vav here and say shnat chamishim achat. So if you leave out the vav, then the interpretation that we're going to use, even with the vav in it, is similar to that, which is that the 50th year is counted as the 50th year. And it does not count as the 50th year as well as the first year. So you can't be both the 50th year as well as the first year. So the Rabbonon say that the Jubilee year, the Yovel, is the completion of a cycle of 49 years. And the Yovel is the 50th year. On the other hand, we're going to have a Shita, which obviously the Chachamim are coming to dismiss, which says that the Jubilee year, which is the 50th year, is also the first year. Kanamru, Yovel en the Minyan Shavua. Based on the Chachamim's position, the Yovel does not count to the years of the Shemitah cycle. That means that you will have seven Shemitah cycles, seven times seven and have 49 years. And then Yovel will be the 50th year. After you complete the 50th year, you will start another cycle of 49 years. That means in a 100-year period, you'll have 98 years of 14 Shemitah cycles and you'll have two Yovelot. And you'll have two times in the 50th and 100th year, you'll have a Yovel. Rabbi Yudomer, Yovel ole the minyan shavua. That Yovel counts as the first year of the next seven-year cycle. So according to Rabbi Yehuda, the way it works is that the 50th year, yes, is the completion of a cycle. You have 49 years in the 50th year. But that Yovel is not only the completion of the previous cycle, it's also the first year of the next cycle. So that means that you complete 49 years. And then you have a Yovel, which is the 50th year, but the 50th year is also the first year of the next 49-year cycle. And that means in order to have a series where you would have a Yovel included in it, after 49 years, the 50th year is a Yovel. It's also the first year of the next 49-year cycle. So then you would have 49 back-to-back with another 49. And then you'd have a Yovel again, but that Yovel would be the beginning of the next 49-year cycle. So in a hundred years, you would only have 98 years, according to this, according to Rabbi Yehuda. I mean, technically you have 99 because the Yovel will be in that 99th year, but that again will begin the next cycle. So the Yovel does not have a placeholder, does not take up a year in the cycle, but cycles only run in the 49 years. And the 50th year is the beginning of the next cycle. That's Rabbi Yehuda's shita. So Amrulo the Rabbi Yehuda. So the Chamim posed this question to Rabbi Yehuda. The Pasuk says, that for six years you will work and plant the field, and then in the seventh year you will desist from that. It will be a Shabbat Hashem, that it will be a Shabbaton La'aretz in the seventh year. So like you work six days of the week, and the seventh day is Shabbat, so to over here you'll work six years in the field, and the seventh year will be the Shemitah. According to your Shita, there's only five. Because in the first seven-year cycle, the first year of that cycle is the Ovel. The seventh year is Shemitah. That means that there only remains five years in between in which you can work the fields. 
So how do you explain the Pasuk according to your Shita, Rabbi Yehuda? How do you make the Pasuk work? Now, it's clear that in all the other seven-year cycles during that series, that Rabbi Yehuda agrees that there's six years of working years and the seventh year will be Shemitah. But what the Chachamim are saying to him, that the Pasuk has got to apply to everywhere, to all the cases. Well, it applies to six out of the seven seven-year cycles, but the first seven-year cycle, according to you, is not a full six years of work. It's only five years of work. Amr lehem, l'divrechem. So Rehuda poses the question back to the Chachamim. Hari Omer, doesn't the Pasuk say, Bas'at et that the produce of the sixth year will suffice for three years. This is in a normal cycle. In a normal cycle, you plant in the sixth year, you harvest in the sixth year, you use that in the sixth year, you need it for the Shemitah year, which is the seventh year, and then you need it in the eighth year until the produce of the eighth year is harvested. And the truth is, it's not a full three years, because you're talking about the end of the sixth year, and then you're becoming the full seventh year, and then most of the eighth year. So in a quote-unquote eight-by-eight situation, it's really two years, but it spans across three years. And so the Torah says that the sixth year will provide you sufficient produce to take care of you in the sixth, seventh, and eight years. arba. But according to you, there's actually a period in time where you're going to have four years where you'll need produce. In the 49th year of the Shemitah cycle, year 48 is the sixth year, and 49 is the seventh year Shemitah. So when you harvest in the sixth year, you'll need for that sixth year itself, you'll need for year 49, which is the Shemitah year, You'll need for year 50, which is a Yovo year, and then you'll need for year 51, which is the beginning of the next cycle, until you plant and harvest there. So that will require four years of produce. So if you tell me that when the Torah speaks like this, it's got to encompass every part of the cycle, then how do you explain, according to your shita, the fact that the produce in the sixth year suffices for three years? Once in a Yovel, you will acquire four years of produce. So that's the question that Rabbi poses. And Rashi notes over here, The question that Rabbi Yudah is posing is even on himself. The Rabbi Because you could ask this question Rabbi Because even though Rabbi Yudah believes that the Yovel is the first year of the next cycle, he still believes that there's a back-to-back situation in which you have a 49th year that is Shemitah. The first year of the next cycle is the Yovel where you can't plant. So according to him, you still will need four years of produce. This question that Rabbi Yudah poses is not only on the Chachamim, it's on himself. But what he's trying to make the point is that just like there, you're not going to be able to explain the Torah's stipulation in all cases. So too, I don't need to explain the Torah's position in all cases. And that's what he says here. What's clear is the meaning of the Pasuk is it applies to the sixth out of the seven parts of the cycle. That's what you have to say. That's how you're going to answer Chachamim. And that's how I'm going to answer that Pasuk. Dilinami. Same thing for me in the case of I'm just going to tell you, I'm showing you from this pasuk, it's a question on me too, but I'm showing you from this pasuk, it's clear that when the Torah talked about it, it talked about it in the normal case. In any case, that's not a Yovel. That's what it's speaking about. So the pasuk that you brought as a question on me, I can answer the same way. That it's speaking about every year besides the situation in which there is a Yovel. Now, this is a small piece of this Gemara. The Gemara brought it over here to indicate that the answer to our question about the 50th year is reliant on this machloket, which is the Chachamim believe that the 50th year, the Ovel, is the completion of the previous cycle. Whereas Rabbi Yehuda believes that the Ovel is the first year of the new cycle.
So it's both Chamishim, it's the Jubilee, the Yovel of the previous 49 years, but it's also the first year of the next cycle. And therefore it'll be considered like the beginning of a cycle. So when it comes to Nidarim, and you want to know where the Chamishim belongs, where does the Yovel belong, it'll depend if you hold like the Chachamim, or do you hold like Rabbi Yehuda. That's why it's brought over here. This is a short piece of Gemara. There's much more extensive Gemarot in Arachin, which is the main sugya that deals with this, and Rosh Hashanah in Avodah Zorah. This sugya appears in a number of places. Over there, there is a major machloket amongst the Rishonim as to how do we paskin. Do we paskin like Rabbi Yehuda, or do we paskin like the Chachamim? Now, part of the problem, which is the question that you're posing over here, is why don't they just look at the historical precedent as to what happened during the Yovel? So one of the problems is that when they go into Galut, they don't count the Yovel. So that's for 70 years. But you say, okay, that was 70 years. Bayit Sheni. Once they came back from Bayit Sheni, then we could have known then about the Yovel. So the truth is that during Bayit Sheni, they also did not keep the Yovel and did not count the Yovel. So therefore, there was a very long period of time in which they didn't practice the Yovel or they were not counting the Yovel. And therefore, it was unclear as to what the historical precedent was by the time they're discussing this, or the Tanaim are discussing this. It's been many years since there's been a Yovel. And there's actually a Machlokat Rishonim, and Bayit Shini, what exactly they did about the Yovel, and things that are connected to the Yovel during that period of time. It's actually a Gemara in Gitin, and there it's the Shita of the Rabbeinu Tam, versus many of the other Rishonim, as to what the status of Yovel was during Bayit Shini. So the confusion or the problem or the safek is not just a modern phenomenon when the Tanaim are speaking about it or even the Amoraim are speaking about it, but it was also a problem during the time of Bayit Shini because they really had lost any historical precedent for this. That's number one. The Shemitah also falls into the same problem. And part of that problem is is this issue, which is that knowing which year of the Shemitah will depend on whether you think we count the Chachamim or we count like Rabbi Yehuda. Because according to the Chachamim, the Yovel will put a placeholder year in there, which will actually be Docheh the cycle, and push out the cycle an extra year. So they actually would change which year is a Shemitah year. So therefore, the Machloket about the Yovel also has implication as to when the Shemitah is. And there is a Machloket amongst the Rishonim as to the count of the Shemitah. With the Shemitah, something incredible happens. And I would say the same thing in the modern era happens again which is that in the time of the Rambam, there is a major machloket as to when the Shemitah, or which year is the Shemitah year. The Rambam himself comes up with a calculation, and it does not agree with the other Shitot. Rashi and the Reed themselves also argue about which year is the Shemitah years. In general, the deference went to Rashi's count. But an amazing thing happened with the Rambam, which is the Rambam says, even though I think the Shemitah is this, based on my calculations, based on what I think, and on the halacha that I want to paskin, nevertheless, there's a Mesorah amongst the Geonim, and amongst the people that this is the year of the Shemitah, and out of deference for that Misora, I'm going to say that that's the Shemitah year. So the Rambam, despite disagreeing, out of deference to the Misora, says that the Shemitah is the years that, based on what the Gonim and others say. So at the time of the Rambam already, you have this idea that there is a Misora, Misora that comes from the Gonim, and the Rishonim, despite their disagreements maybe with it, still seem to defer to that Shita of the Gonim. And the same thing happened in the modern era when they came back and they restarted the Shemitah cycles here in Eretz Yisrael. Obviously, the Yishuv was much smaller and probably much easier to deal with. But there are amongst the Rishonim many different 
shitot in regards to when Shemitah should be now. And probably a four out of the seven years in any Shemitah cycle, probably a Shemitah according to some Rishon. Nevertheless, when they restarted it, they used that Mesora, and it's been accepted by everyone. Everybody agrees when the Shemitah year is. I mean, if you understand what type of miracle that is, that the entire Jewish nation agrees that Shemitah is the Shemitah year that we currently have. So again, it's an amazing thing that both in the time of the Rishonim and today that we have a single count of when the Shemitah is, and everybody agrees to that, despite the fact that there is Machlokah, and despite the fact that it's not so straightforward. Now, the Machlokah about the Yovel is a pretty serious Machlokah amongst the Rishonim, and does have Nafkaminot Lo'alocha. Do we paskin like the Chachamim, or do we paskin like Rabbi Yehuda? Now, if you paskin like the Chachamim, then you're going to have to leave in a year for the Yovel in the interim. And then if you paskin like Rabbi Yehuda, you don't need to leave a year for the Yovel, and that will change the calculation of when your Shemitah year is. It will also have implications about the cycles. Sorry, Maishu Sheni, Maishu It has huge implications in terms of the counting of the years and the cycling of the years. Once again over here, it's very interesting. The Rambam himself believes that the locha is like the Chachamim. He says that in the Mishnah Torah, in Hilchot Shemitah Yovel and Perak Yud, he explicitly states that the locha is like the Chachamim. But then once again, he writes something else. He writes that there's a Mesorah from the Geunim as to when the Shemitah is, as well as the fact that we don't count the Yovel in the years. He writes it in the, there's a Shutar Rambam that speaks about this. He says, Even though there was no Yovel in the time of Ezra, Manu Yovlot. They counted the Yovel anyway. So in order to know when to have the Shemitah, He paskins like the Chachamim, and he says in the time of Ezra, even though they didn't keep Yovel, they counted the Yovel. And then he says again, I have a tshuva from Rabbeinu Hai that says this. That the Rav Hai and the Gonim have this Mesorah, that they stopped counting the Yovel from the time of the Chuban. Only Shemitah. This is a Mesorah of antiquity. Not only in the Chuvat Rav Hai, but in Chuvat that came before him, that will say in the keynote on Tisha B'Av, that the Beit HaMikdash is destroyed on Motzei Shvi'it, Kamosh Amarnu, and therefore the year that I'm writing this in is also a Shnat HaShemitah. Then he makes the point, It's as if the Gonim and all of these shitot ignore everything that is written in the Gemara in Arachin. So the Rambam makes it clear that he thinks Aloha is like the Chachamim, but despite that fact, he says the Gonim have a very strong Mesorah that from the Zman Churban, they no longer keep the Yovel, and therefore, the Shemitah cycle just cycles in seven years, seven years, and they don't worry about the Yovel at all. And once again, the Rambam, here in the Perak Yud, Shemitah Yovel, and Balacha Hei, and Alacha Vav, defers to this Mesorah of the Geonim, even though he doesn't agree with it. And he says, at the end of this, he says, Kabbalah, <laughs> 
He said that the Mesorah is so powerful, and therefore we're going to put ourselves on the Mesorah. I mean, it's coming from the Rambam, quintessential intellectual person who thinks through everything and says the Aloha like he thinks it is, despite the fact that he's arguing on everyone else. Over here, he defers to Mesorah and tells you the power of Mesorah is so strong that I'm deferring to that even though I disagree with it. Now, the Ravid on the spot argues in the Rambam, he says that how does the Rambam know that the Ga'onim Shita is that it changed at the time of the Khurban? The way the Rambam summarizes the Shita of the Ga'onim is that until Khurban Abayit, they counted the Ovel and they had a placeholder in there even though they didn't keep the Ovel. After the Khurban, that changed. Ravid says, how do you know that? Maybe we just Paskin like Rabbi Yehuda. And we Paskin like Rabbi Yehuda after the Khurban. And we Paskin like Rabbi Yehuda before the Khurban. How does he know that there was a Yovel beforehand? The Ravid himself says, I don't accept that. I don't hold like the Gonim, and I don't hold like the Rambam either. He says, no, but we still count 50 years, like the Chachamim. Just happens to be that the 50th year has no Kedusha anymore. Since it doesn't have any more Kedusha, then we don't give it a separate name or separate placeholder within the calendar. So maybe even according to the Chachamim, the cycling of the 50 years, we still count the 50 years, but the 50th year no longer has any demarcation by itself because it no longer has any Kedusha. That's the right with Shita. There's a very large Rebchaim that speaks about it here. And he speaks about exactly that, this idea that when it comes to Yovel, that Yovel is not something like Shemitah. Shemitah is like Shabbat, which is uh, Kitshav Akaima. It happens whether we want it or not, whether we are Mekalish or not. It's automatic. On the other hand, Yovel is much more like Yom Tov. And just like Yom Tov requires B'nai Yisrael to be Mekadesh at the Chodesh, and therefore determine when Yom Tov is, and that's why we say Mekadesh Yisrael Vazmanim, so too Yovel requires a counting of Beitin. Without a Minyan of Beitin, there is no Yovel. And the Ovel doesn't exist. It's as if it is not there. And that's what Reb Chaim says is the explanation for the Shita. Once Beitin no longer engages in counting of the Yovel year, there just isn't any Yovel year. It doesn't exist. Yovel will only exist once Beitin engages to count the Yovel. But if there's no Beitin to count the Yovel, then there is no Yovel. And that's how he explains the change in the Din. When there was a Beitin that was counting and enumerating the Yovel, then there was a Yovel. And they counted the year. And it was one of the 50 years. And it was part of the cycle. After the Churban Abayit, where the Beit Din stopped engaging in the counting of the Yovel, then there's no longer a Yovel. It doesn't exist. It won't exist without Beit Din actually making a count and starting the count for the Yovel. And that's why in the modern era, or post the Churban, we don't have a Yovel. Because you can't have Yovel unless you Mekadesh the Yovel. And we don't have a Beit Din that is assuming the count to make the Yovel. So therefore, it may not have anything to do whether Yovel is the right to the Rabbonon. It just has to do with whether Beitin engages in the counting of the Yovel. All right, we'll leave this sugya behind. Again, it's a very extensive sugya on the Gemara and Arachin and has more and more implications in the in the upcoming years, probably over the next seven years, will become very much Allah Chalamaseh because Yovel might become... And sh- Deoraita, which is that Yovel is only applicable when Rov Yoshvei Aleha. The majority of Jews live inside of Eretz Yisrael. And we are fast approaching that point where the majority of Jews in the world will be in Eretz Yisrael. 
And that will actually change the status of Yovel. It might require us to start counting the Yovel because of the fact that now it's changing into a Dindoraita rather than simply a Dindorabanan. And obviously it has major implications in terms of Shemitah as well because then Shemitah will come Doraita, not only Dirabanan. So this issue will become a serious issue over the next number of years because of the population factors that are weighing heavily in favor of Eretz Yisrael becoming the home to the majority of Jews in the world. All right, so now we continue. The Gemara here now continues with the Mishnah Ara Pesach. So we discussed yesterday in the end of the Mishnah when he says Ad Pnei Pesach, that's the Girs again of Rashi, the Rosh, the Ran, not Ad Lifnei Pesach, but Ad Pnei Pesach. Well, there we had a machlok between Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yossi as to what that meant. Rabbi Meir says that means until Pesach begins. Pnei Pesach means you're facing Pesach. And Rabbi Yossi says, no, Pnei Pesach means until the last moment of Pesach, until Pesach has elapsed. Now the Gemara assumes that the machlok between Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yossi, and we mentioned this yesterday, has to do with how you view Safek. Lememra. The Rabbi Meir Savar, lo mayo inche nafshe lesfeka. A person doesn't put himself in a position of Safek. Rabbi Yossi Savar, Rabbi Yossi believes, mayo inche nafshe lesfeka. A person does put themselves into a position of Safek. So now the difference in their opinion is when a person makes a statement. Now the statement has one clear interpretation. Everybody agrees when you say Ad Pesach that you definitely meant until Pesach. That much everybody can agree on and there's no safek or no question about that. The other part which is questionable is that you also mean the entirety of Pesach until Pesach is complete. Now the Ad Pesach can be interpreted both ways. It could mean until Pesach means before Pesach. Or it could mean until the tail end of Pesach. We saw in the Rosh yesterday that it could be any one of three options. It could be the beginning of Pesach. It could be before the end of Pesach. It could be the end of Pesach. The word and the expression has multiple possibilities about how to interpret it. So what Rabbi Meir says is when a person takes the nether and we're unsure as to the interpretation, we will only take up the interpretation which is certain. Because people, when they take a nether and when they make statements, their statements only include items where they are certain that is the meaning of what they are saying. They don't include in their statement things that are not so certain. Now then, Rabbi Yossi says, when a person makes a statement, he means to include anything that's possible to be explained under that statement. That means both that which is obvious, as well as things that are possible explanation of those words. So that's what happens here. Rabbi Meir says, only until Pesach, because that's the only stuff that we know for sure is true. And Rabbi Yossi says, no, you can go even to the end of Pesach, because... Pesach itself is also a plausible explanation of Ad Pnei Pesach, and therefore you wait till the end. Veramini, is that really the sheet of Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yossi? Mi kite banot. An individual who has two families of girls. Mishte nashim, from two different women. So he had, let's call it two girls from wife A, and then he had, subsequent to that, two girls from wife B. Vamar, he says, Kidashti et biti hagedola. I married off my eldest daughter, the Eniodea, and now I don't know what I meant. Imgdolash Gdolot. When I said my eldest daughter, does that mean the oldest of all of the daughters? Meaning the firstborn girl to wife A. Imgdolash Tanot. Or did I mean my eldest daughter from my second wife? Meaning the first daughter from wife B. Or Vimtanashibigdolot. Or did I mean daughter number two from wife a, because she's still older than all of the girls born to the second wife. She is older than all of the girls born to the second woman. Kulan asurot divrei Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir means, out of this safek, 
all of them are asurot. Chutz, with the exception of minaktanash b'ktanot. The youngest daughter to the youngest group obviously is not the one that he meant. So she's the only one who's obvious that could not be included under the terminology of Gdola. So therefore she is not Bisafek married. All the other daughters are Bisafek married. Because in relationship to that youngest daughter, they are also Gidolot. And because they are older daughters, any one of those could be included in what he said. Rabbi Yossi Omer, Hulan Mutarot. All of them are Mutar, Chutz, Menagdolash, Bigdolot. With the exception of the oldest girl to the first set. I mean that wife A's first daughter is the only one who is the Safek over here. So now, the opinions of Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yossi are about this issue of Safek. Rabbi Yossi is saying that a person, when he says Gedola, he doesn't make an unclear statement. Gedola, meaning it could be anybody who's older. Gedola means my oldest daughter, my eldest daughter. That's the only one can, can mean, the only one that it could mean, and everybody else is Mutar. On the other hand, Rabbi Meir says, no, when you say oldest daughter or elder daughter, that doesn't necessarily mean just the oldest daughter. It means anyone's older than someone else. Because when a person makes a statement, we give it the greatest meaning. It covers the greatest scope of what the word can mean, and therefore could mean any of these daughters, with the exception of the youngest daughter of the youngest group. So here you see that Rabbi Meir's opinion is that people are mayol lehem l'safek. Rabbi Yossi's opinion is that they are not mayol l'safek. Well, based on that, that's just the opposite of what's said in our Mishnah. No problem. I'm Rabbi Hanina, Barav Marav. We mentioned this yesterday. Mukhlefet Ashita. Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yossi's positions in our Mishnah are flipped or reversed. Vahatanya and Hatanya is Benichuta, and we have a Brita that supports that version of our Mishnah. Zeklau. This is the principle. Kosh is Manaukavua. Anything that has a fixed time to it. Vamar Ad Pnei. And then he uses the terminology Ad Pnei. Rabbi Meir Meir Ad Shiyetzei. Rabbi Meir says until the entire Pesach is finished, which is the opposite of what he says in our Mishnah. Rabbi Yosi Meir Ad that only until Pesach, until the beginning of Pesach, again, which is the opposite of what he says in our Mishnah. But if you flip our Mishnah, then it corresponds with this Brayta. And that's exactly what Rabbi Hanina is saying. Rabbi Hanina, Barav in the name of Rabbi, is saying that the Mishnah got Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yossi's positions reversed. And if you flip them, then it will correspond to the Brayta. And it also will match up with their Machloket that we had from the Gemara in Kiddushin. Now, that's the conclusion of the Gemara. Based on this conclusion of the Gemara, we would say, Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yossi, whenever you have a machoket of Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yossi, Aloha ke Rabbi Yossi. Aloha is like Rabbi Yossi. Over here, Rabbi Yossi's opinion is, Aji Rabbi Yossi says a person is not mildest of fake, doesn't put himself into a safek, and therefore if you use the term, Ad Penei, it would only mean until the beginning of Pesach and no more. Because you would paskin like Rabbi Yossi. And in Okanami, that is the position of the Rambam. On the other hand, the Gemara in Kiddushin raises the same question that we raised over here. But the Gemara in Kiddushin has a different conclusion. Instead of saying Mukhlevet shita, like we say here, the Gemara says, introduces that possibility and says, Lo you don't have to switch it around. I have a better answer. The Machologi between them is about what the word Pnei means. Does Pnei mean Adli Pnei Pesach? Or does Pnei Pesach mean Ad Pesach? Until it has passed. And the machlok between Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yossi is what is the meaning of the word penei? Does the word penei mean adli penei until before? Does it mean ad shifnei until it has been completed and ended? Therefore the machlok is about the interpretation of the word penei. Now based on that, if you do not flip their positions, and now you have a machlok between Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yossi, halochic Rabbi Yossi would mean that the locha is that you'd have to wait until 
Pesach is over. So now you have a question as to how to paskin. Is it like Rabbi Yossi in the Gemara in Kiddushin and the way that our Mishnah is written now, which means you have to wait until Pesach is over? Or is it Rabbi Yossi and the Braita here and Rabbi Yossi once you flip our Mishnah, like the conclusion of the Gemara here in the Darim, and therefore it would only be until Pesach, which way do we paskin? So we said before that we, the Rambam paskins, like our Sugi over here, Mukhlevet Ashita, you flip it, and we paskin like Rabbi Yossi, that means Ad Lifnea Pesach, until the beginning of Pesach. Now, the reason to do that, when you have a machloket between the sugyot, one of the principles that we usually invoke is, which sugya belongs there? So when you have a sugya about nidarim, and it's found in Kiddushim, and you have a sugya of nidarim that's found in nidarim, we will give more weight to the Gemara's explanation in Masechet nidarim than we will give to it in Masechet Kiddushim, because of the fact that it's topically relevant. And therefore, the topically relevant sugya within its own Masechta governs. Because we assume that that has a better outcome or has been looked over more carefully. And therefore, we would generally go with the sugi over here. And that's what the Rambam does. He paskins like the sugi over here. On the other hand, the Ramban disagrees. And he paskins like the sugi in Kiddushin. And he says, Allah is like Rabbi Yossi based on the Gemara in Kiddushin, which means leaving Rabbi Yossi intact in our Mishnah. And therefore, the Allah would be that you'd have to wait until Pesach is completed, until the end of Pesach. The reason that he might do that is because, as we've seen throughout Nidarim, Nidarim is not as well redacted as many of the other Mesechtot. It is not as well preserved in terms of its Lashon and in terms of its structure. And therefore, the Ramban might give more weight to the Gemara in Kiddushin than it does, than he does to the Gemara here in Nidarim. And inclusive of the fact that the Gemara in Kiddushin knows about the answer here of the Gemara in Nidarim because it acknowledges that answer and then says no. As well as the fact that the sheet over there is by an Amora who is a Batro, and therefore we would pass in like the Amora who is a Batro. So that is a Makhloket as to which conclusion of the Gemara governs, whether it's our Gemara here or the Gemara in Kiddushin. Okay, the next Mishnah says, Ara Katsir, Ara Batsir, Ara Mesik. All of these are types of harvest. In the Hebrew language, every item has its own word in terms of harvesting. Katsir usually refers to Tvua, to grains. Ara Batsir, refers to grapes. Adamisik refers to olives. So here you have the different fruits. We're talking about these different types of harvests based on the type of fruit that we are speaking about. Eno asur elechiagia. If he uses any of these terms, then you only asur until it begins. Zaklau. This is the principle that one should follow. Kosh is mano kavua. Anything that has a fixed time. Vamar achiagia. And he uses the terminology until it comes. Asur achiagia. That he's a sewer until it starts. Amar He says until it has happened, till it has passed. A sewer Then it's until he completes the entirety of that time period, like we saw before in the Mishnah with Pesach. It says achiyagiyah Pesach. That means until before Pesach. Achiyagiyah Pesach means until after Pesach. That's only true with items that are zmanokavua that have a fixed time. Whatever does not have a fixed time, ben amar Ben Amar whether he says until it has passed or it has happened, Ben Amar until it comes, then the person only has sur until the start of whatever that time period is. So now the Mishnah lays out here a difference between things that are Zmanokavua and Devar Shein Zmanokavua. In general, the Rishonim explain something that Zmanokavua means that it has a fixed duration to it. So for instance, like Pesach, Pesach has a fixed duration of seven days. Therefore, a person might take a nether that says, 
the nether terminates at the beginning of Pesach, or he might take a nether that it terminates at the end of Pesach because he knows what the duration of Pesach is, and he doesn't have any questions what that means when he says the end of Pesach. On the other hand, when you have items that have flexible times associated with them, as the Rosh says, that the harvest can last different amounts of time, depending on the weather, depending on the country, depending on the year, and depending on many other factors, the harvest has different durations to it. So a person generally will not take such a nether that has nether now has to deal with when is the termination of this object because he doesn't know when it will terminate because it's some unclear time in which it will end. And because of that, the person focuses on the beginning of that time period and does not focus on the completion of that time period. Now the Rosh explains why that is. He says, person never intends to put himself into a period of time of Isur where he doesn't know the outcome or he doesn't know the duration. How long will it go for? And whenever he puts a nether in place then, he always means that we will deem his statement to mean until the beginning of that period because we know that people don't take nedarim that put them into this uncertainty as to when the completion is or when the end is because they are taloi in some sort of flexibility of completion because they don't have a fixed duration to them. So in that case, the way that you would explain the Mishnah is that Arakatsir, Arabatsir, and Masik are time periods that are not fixed. Those are time periods which are flexible. The previous Mishnah, Arab Pesach, had the example of something that had a fixed time period. And what the Mishnah here is telling you is that there's a difference between Arab Pesach versus Arakatsir. Arakatsir and Arab Pesach, or Achiagia Katsir, Achiagia Pesach means until they come, till they start. Ajehei Pesach means until Pesach is finished. Ajehei Katsir still means until the beginning of the Katsir because of this natural difference between them, which is that Katsir is not of a fixed duration, whereas Pesach is something of a fixed duration. It's always seven days. All right, so then the Mishnah continues, and then we'll go back and discuss this because what I just said is the majority of Rishonim's opinions, but there are dissenters within this, and that will explain. The Mishnah continues and says, Ad Ad the person who's speaking about until the kites, if he also says, that's the same as saying, as we said before, it's called anything that doesn't have a fixed time. It's the equivalent of saying, means until it starts. Well then, what is the definition of the start of the kites? That the Mishnah gives you, it's when the people start to either place the figs into the baskets, or they begin to bring the large baskets into the house. So the Rambam here explains that the kayit, it is a term to describe the hot time periods, the summertime. But by them, the word kayit, even though it has a more generic sense, which means the summertime, that they used to explain it, they used to speak about the ripening of the figs, meaning that they specifically associated it with the ripening of the figs. And therefore, the description in the Mishnah here about kites, the beginning of the kites, the tail end of the kites, will all revolve around the fig harvest. So they saw the fig harvest as being the primary activity of the summer. And therefore, based on that, the kites, the word kites now became, in a sense, conflated with the fig harvest. And therefore, kites stopped meaning summertime and started to mean the fig harvest, which obviously there's a huge overlap between them or there's some common denominator between them. That's how the 
Rambam explains what's going on in this Mishnah. Now, before we move on, there is Rabbi Eliezer Mimitz, quoted here by the Tosafot, it's also quoted by the Rosh, says, that when the Mishnah said over here the principle of Kol Shizman Kavua, and Kol Shizman Kavua, it was not referencing to the examples of Arakatsir, Arabatsir, and Adamisik. You know why? All of those are items that Zmanam Kavua, that have a fixed duration to them. But rather, the explanation of that general principle is laid on the Mishnah, actually starts now, which is Arakais, Adshehayakais. The Mishnah is describing something that does not have a fixed duration to it, and that is the harvest of the Tainim, which is actually the Rosh quote over here, that part of the nature of the fig harvest is, you don't collect them at one time. It's actually a harvest that spreads over a period of time and is not in a very concentrated time. Most harvests or collection of vegetables or fruits or harvest of grains take place over a very short period of time. And you basically harvest the field nonstop over a week's period and it's all done. The other hand, the tainim, they ripen at different speeds. And therefore, the harvest takes place over a duration of time because you harvest those that are ripe and you come back for those that are yet to ripen. And if it extends over time, it's what's called Ein Likyatan Keachat. It actually has nafkaminot in Zra'im with regards to Dine Masroth. The Tainim are identified as things that are Ein Likyatan Keachat, that they don't have a fixed harvest because they do not get collected at the same time. So what Rabbi Lezami Mitz says is that everything until now was fixed. That means Pesach. Katsir, Batsir, Misik, those are fixed duration times. And then now we begin examples of things that do not have a fixed duration to them, and this is the first example. And his proof is from the Lashona Mishnah. The Mishnah only starts to bring up Adshi Hey when it starts Arakais. You don't see the Mishnah saying Arakatsir, Arabatsir, Aramisik, and then say Adshi Hey, and explain that Adshi Hey is the same as Ad, but except for the first time here. Here's the first time the Mishnah gives that example, which is Ad Hakaitz. So that's what Rabbi Lezer Mitz says is the transition. So he says that anything that has a fixed time associated with it, that includes anything that generally happens over a period of time that is known. It doesn't have to be exact, but it's well known. Or you could argue anything that is manokavua means it has a fixed time in which it starts. It has a fixed time to start, even though it doesn't have a fixed duration to it. And he says all those are included. What is a case of enokavua? So both Tosafot and the Rosh give examples of a person says, well, until so-and-so comes from such-and-such city, or until the completion of that war. So those are things that he really has no clue as to when they're going to end and to the type of duration. And in that sense, those are things that are completely out of his control and things that do not have any fixed time to them. And so because of that, those are called Enu Kavua. Now, the Tosafot and the Rosh both reject the position of Rabbi Lezer Mimit, but Rosh, for practical reasons, just says it's just not true. We know that the harvest, the duration of the harvest changes from year to year. It depends on the nature of the bountiful crops of some years, as well as the scarcity of crops in other years, as well as the weather and many other factors that change the duration of the harvest. And he disagrees with Rabbi Lezer Mimitz with regards to this. And the Rosh adds another reason not to hold like the Rabbi Lezer Mimitz is that the Zaklau seems to be referencing something that we've said already. And that would indicate that we've already had examples of Zmanam Kavua and Ain Zmanam Kavua. Whereas according to Rabbi Lezmi Mitz, we only have had examples of Zmanokavu until now, and the Zmanokavua comes after Zaklau, which is not generally the structure of a Mishnah. Zaklau either starts off the Mishnah, or it's the tail end of the Mishnah once you've had examples of both items. And the Baliyat Tosafot say the same thing, that 
Vinlinira, and he says, why does the Mishnah delineate Ajehei by Kayitz? Damar Ajehei Kayitz, Ajehei Tchilu Latet Makakalot, Alma, Ino Asur Ajehei, Veins Manokafua, Tasfinle. And the reason that they brought Ada Kayitz over Ajehei Kayitz is because it's something that needs definition. It's not clear what the definition is, but the same thing would be true with Ada Katsir, Ada Batsir, Ada Mesik, which have much clearer defined beginnings and ends, even though that duration is not fixed, but it's clear and you won't have to define them in a Mishnah, the Kayets needed more explanation. That's why the Mishnah explicated that term versus the other three terms in the beginning of the Mishnah. So, so they bring them into the basket. So most of the Rishonim explain here that means that they place them into the baskets. And as the Rosh gives explanation to that, why is that important? Because, not that they harvest them on a haphazard basis, she cuts to our bay until they start harvesting them in a serious manner. And therefore, they pile them up in the baskets, meaning that they are bringing in large quantities. So it now becomes a real harvest, not just going out to the field and picking a couple of them off. How do you identify that? That's by the large baskets being filled with the figs. Now, whether it means that the baskets themselves are filled with the figs, which seems to be what Rashi is saying over here, or the rush is somewhat unclear, but others suggest that means until they bring, a they bring in the baskets that are filled with the figs. But either way, it means that we've entered into a much more serious period of the harvest. Then if the person says this, he specifies, I want this nether to be in effect until the summer has passed, or until the day, the fig harvest has passed. It's until this activity has taken place. Here you have a makloket again in the Rishonim. The Rambam in the Perisha Mishnayot says these Maksaot are Maksaot. They are reed mat that they used to place down upon which they dried the figs. So once they have rolled up the mats that are used to dry the figs out in the field, that signals the end of the harvest. So when the majority of people have rolled up their mats, no, majority can mean the majority of mats have been rolled up, or is it the majority of people who are involved in the harvest have rolled up, either one, but once the majority of them have rolled them up, then, that you know is the end of the fig harvest. That's the way the Rambam explains it. And the Rosh actually brings that shita of the Rambam as a second shita. Most of the Rishonim explain that the Maksuot are actually knives. And there, based on that, they give different explanations. Either these are the Sakinim, to cut the Tuban. These are the knives by which they cut the figs, meaning that once the figs are done drying out, and they've pressed them together into the fig cakes, that they use these knives to cut them up. And then they put them away. That they then stop using these knives and they put them away. Either they put them away to use with something else or they put them away for next year. So Rashi says what this is that the knives that are used to work with these figs are now put away. They're put into the closet. That's one way to explain it. The Rosh, on the other hand, takes the word literally that they fold the knives or the knife is put back into its sheath. Pilo means almost like a pocket knife that you would fold up or a knife that's put back into its sheath. And that's what it means, Ajiyak Pilo. Once they put the knives away, they fold up the knives and they stop using the knives with regards to the figs, that signals the end of the kayets, the end of the fig harvest. Rashi brings a second interpretation, which is in Yanyacher, Plo Ad Shechoretzotan Bekupit, that they start to either string up or compact these fig cakes together. And they use a kupit, some sort of hatchet or knife to do this process. 
end already signals the end of the fig harvest. Others say that it simply is the placing of the gulet vela, the circles of velot on top of each other. That's what yakpilu means. Makpilu amaktuot is to put the actual fig cakes on top of each other. Now there is some conflation of the word maktuot and kayets over here. As the Rambam already said in the Perish Mishnayot, kayets refers to summertime. And then it was lifted over to describe, be a part of the fig harvest, because that was the major activity during the time. And still beyond that, it moves from the word kayets, because of kotsitzim we're going to see, over to the fig cakes themselves, which become known as maktuot as well. And so the word, which had a meaning about a specific time, let's say the summertime, then it's conflated to me, not only that, but also the fig harvest. And then not only the fig harvest, but the fig cakes that come out of the fig harvest also get that name. And so therefore here, the shakpilu maktuot would mean the folding over or the piling up of these fig cakes, the pressing of these fig cakes together. Rehmar says, Tano, kaukala shamru, kaukala shel te'inim. And we're talking about the kites and the basket that's brought in. We're talking about baskets of figs. Below kaukala shel anavim, but not baskets of grapes. The grape harvest takes place very similar time to the fig harvest. They overlap. And therefore, when we talk about the kaukala, the basket of fruits that are being brought in here, we're specifically speaking about figs and not speaking about grapes. Tanya. Someone takes a nether from the fruits of the summer. He's only restricted in figs. That anavim are a subset of figs. Because basically they are both harvested during the summer. And why we say that the grapes are subsumed under Tainim is because Tainim were all put together, pressed, and dried out. Whereas grapes have different usage. Grapes, in their time and the majority, were not eaten for fruit, but they were either pressed for wine or they were made into raisins. So there are a part of the crop that will be taken and made into raisins similar to the processing of the figs. That's what I mean. Anavim bichlal Tainim. And Avim also have this process in the summertime, in the heat, where they are picked around the same time, and they are put out in the fields to dry, to make into raisins, and to make into dried figs. So therefore, when you take a nether from Perotakites, that should include not only Tainim, but also Anavim. My time of the Tanakama. What is the reasoning behind the Tanakama's position that he believes that summer fruits only include figs and not dates? Kasavar, Tainim, Mikzatsan, Bida. Tainim are picked by hand. Anavim lo miktatsan bidam. Whereas grapes are not picked by hand. Anavim nami. Anavim also, grapes also ki miradadan miktatsan bidam. That when they are dried out, they also are cut by hand or picked by hand. Tosafo brings an alternate gear over here, which is lishnachrina mizradan kamo kavilez radin. Like piles of tinder or kindling, which means like dried out small sticks, and it's again referring to the stems of the clusters that have been dried out. The way that one harvests figs is by picking them off by hand. If that's the case, it's like kutsates, someone who picks off the fruit, the vegetable, and therefore mikatsitsan, or the terminology kayits, is only associated with figs which are picked by hand. And then grapes cannot be picked by hand. They are in large clusters, whose stem is still moist and tough. And it's very hard to pick grapes by hand. Anybody who's picked grapes knows that you need shears. You need something very sharp to cut this stem that's holding up the cluster. 
And therefore, they're not harvested by hand. And they're, the difference between grapes and tainim is the way that they're harvested. And therefore, the word kayets is specifically associated with tainim and not with grapes. Rabbi Shimon Gamaliel agrees. You're right. Generally, grapes are harvested by kli and tainim, figs are harvested by hand. But there is a time period when grapes are also harvested by hand. And that is when we get to the point where the stem holding the cluster on the vine starts to dry out. Once it's dried out enough, you can pick it or snap it off without the use of a kli. So there are times that in Avim, that grapes are also picked by hand. And since they're also picked by hand, they should be subsumed in the terminology of kais. Of course, the Tanakhama knows what Rabbi Shimon Gamaliel is saying, but as he says, that's not the majority. That's not the primary way in which grapes are harvested. The primary way in which grapes are harvested is by kli. So the majority of them have rolled up, and as we discussed in the Mishnah, that rove here could mean the rove of the people that are harvesting have done it, or the rove of the item has been put away. So the Rambam talks about the rove of the mats, all the other Rishonim, which are speaking about knives, and we are talking about the rove of the knife, whether it means to put it away, whether it means to fold it up, whether it means to cut the gulet vela, press them together, or to string them up. Whatever the meaning is, the majority has to be done, and that signals the end of that period of time. Tana, hukpalu rov amaktuot, mutarot mishum gezel, upturot minamasrot. Once you reach that time period, within the fig harvest, then we can assume that the figs that remain in the field at that point in time, the balabait has been mafkir, and he's been mafkir them, first of all, there's no gezel, there's no more theft, because he has no interest in getting them, or he doesn't plan on getting them. Upturot minamasrot, and also patur minamasir, because hefkir is patur minamasir. Rabbi and Rabbi Yossi bar Rabbi Yehuda iklu lahawatra. Rabbi and Rabbi Yossi bar Yehuda were traveling to a certain city. Bismach hukpalu rova maktuot. At this time period in which the end of the fig harvest had arrived, based on the definition of our Mishnah, Rabbi avakachil. So Rabbi took the figs that were in the fields and ate them. Rabbi Yossi Rabbi Yehuda loachil. He would not eat them. At Amarhon, the owner of the figs came out. Amarlo, amarlo achle rabbonon. Why don't you rabbon and partake in my figs? Hukpalu roba maksuot. Oh, it's already reached the time period where it's hukpalu roba maksuot, and therefore you're entitled to eat them. They're hefker. Vafel pikein lo achel rabiosi berabiyuda. Rabiosi berabiyuda nevertheless demurred and refused to eat from these figs. Kosalvar, because he believed mishum sanyut milta hu de kamar hadin gavra. That this individual only said this because of sanyut. Rashi says sanyut is mira leiv. Did it out of his wasn't a generous person. The Ran continues to say that, He was saying it in a cynical, sarcastic manner. Well, why don't you help yourself to the figs? It's already the time period where you guys think it's okay to take the figs. They were saying it. It's a person who was not generous, did not want them to take it. And he was saying it in a sarcastic manner, not out of sincerity. The Rosh, on the other hand, explains, This was something that was beneath his dignity, or... He was, in a sense, too embarrassed to tell them the truth. Because it would be considered inappropriate if he didn't allow the Rabbonon to eat here. But not out of the generosity of his heart he did this, because he was in a bind. They were there, and it would be considered to be miserly or unsocial or improper for him to stop the Chachamim from doing this. So therefore he was compelled to say, go ahead, you can do it. But that's not really what he wanted, and it's not really what he meant. And therefore, Rabbi Yossi Rabbi Yudha refused to eat, because he didn't believe 
that the owners of the figs really meant to be mafkir them to the individuals, and that many of these owners kept them or believed that they were still theirs and intended to pick them up way after the time period of Rova Maxol. Okay, we'll stop over here. Nine lines down on Samach Bet, Amud Aleph.